What's up guys, this is Corey Baker from Baker Forge and Tool. In my business, we do tons of heavy grinding every single day, and we needed a grinder that could take abuse and keep on trucking without slowing down billet production. The Ameribraid Variable Speed 2x72 is just that. All heavy duty parts and framing with well thought out accessories that are easy to use and not bogged down with lots of tiny parts. By far the best accessory item that Ameribraid sells is their surface grinding attachment. It is absolutely foolproof and the best in the industry. With quick release magnet system, there is no prying your workpiece off the platen. Very fast to slap a billet or a knife onto the table, engage magnets, and start surfacing with precise increments. On top of all of this, their customer support is outstanding. Eric and Kevin are always available and fast to help with any situation. If you're in the market for a top-of-the-line grinder or maybe just an accessory to add to your existing setup, go to Ameribraid.com and use the code HUSTLE100 for 100 bucks off any grinder package. All right, next up, the Hustle & Grind Podcast. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Hustle and Grind podcast, a low-key podcast where we talk to other makers and discuss knife making, craft making, all different kinds of things in a really chill way. Sometimes we get a little excited, sometimes we get sidetracked, but this is a podcast for everybody, whether you're a maker or not. I'm your host, Noah Bloomberg from Anyant River Forge. With me, as always, Ryan Coakley from Ryan Chadboard Knife Works. Hello. And our guest today shares my first name, uh, Noah Vachon. How are you, man? Hey, guys. Good. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Pleasure to have you back. Uh, Noah's been on the show before. Uh, today, we're just going to keep keep it laid back. Um, if you want, you can go back and listen to that show. He was on, I think, early last year. He's been on um, twice. I was just thinking the last this time. This is number three. Woo! Yeah. Number absolutely. three. So the I was last saying, one you weren't on. The last one was me, him, and Andrea Daly. Oh, that's, that's right. right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. My mistake. I was thinking the last time that we spoke. So, okay. Anyways, uh, so we were just kind of talking before the show. I, I hadn't seen much from you on Instagram. Uh, that's kind of where knife makers keep in touch with each other and check out each other's work. And we pretend that we're posting our knives that our customers will see. But instead, it's just a bunch of other knife makers checking our work out. But, uh, <laughs> but anyways... Enough. You said you're maybe taking a, a little bit of a, a step back from the socials, but what have you been up to lately? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess I have been doing, you know, Instagram pretty aggressively since I started making knives. And um, I guess partly with the whole, like the whole shadow ban stuff that was going on, it kind of shook my like confidence in that format. And so I guess I, you know, that was, that was part of it. And then also, honestly, since Christmas, I've been sort of like in and out of the shop, but like allowing myself for the first time in probably eight years to just get absorbed in other projects. Like I've been so obsessively focused on knife making for the last eight years and I have not allowed myself to pursue any other interests. And like, to be honest, you know, this winter I was just like, fuck it. It's it's time to just let, you know, open the door on a couple other things in my life. And it's been, it's been good. And to be honest, I think it's going to bring me back to knife making with some new perspectives and a little bit of a refreshed interest in it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not, to say, not to say that I haven't been doing anything. I've been, I've been like basically going into the shop, doing as much as I feel like I can get away with doing and then immediately leaving to go do something else. And that's been sort of my like relationship with work lately. Um, and, and I mean, it's the right time of year to do it too, right? As knife makers, like 
if we don't have a ton of custom work lined up for the months of January and February, they're pretty quiet to begin with. Like yeah. it's not, it's not a great month to be doing business. Um, it's a good time for that. It's a good time to take stock. It's a good time to like, you know, recharge your batteries and stuff like that. So it's a healthy approach too. Cause you use that word work and when you do it full time, you start, I feel like you start to lose the love of it a little bit and it becomes more like work. Yeah, when, definitely. I mean, it's been, I feel like it's been work for a number of years now, you know, like I, that's how I treat it. It's my job, you know? Um, not that I don't love doing it, but I mean, it's, it's my job. I'm, I'm, this is what I rely on for my income, you know? So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it was a good winter. It was like a good Christmas holiday. So, you know, I was doing okay. As I'm sure I've mentioned before, my cost of living out here in the country is not that high. So, you know, I, I can afford to like allow myself to, to take some time off, you know, from time to time. Not that I have though, to be honest, (laughs) Uh, but you know, now I'm finally doing it. So yeah, I mean, uh, like knife related stuff. I just finished off um, this batch of uh, minis again. So I don't know if we talked about that. It was probably the last mm-hmm. time I was on here. We were talking about content minis. So I've been doing a lot of these things. I like it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I did a pre-order. I did a Guto model and an Akiri model. And people paid for those before Christmas. And then they just got all shipped off uh, this week. So that's off the plate. That feels good. Um, and uh what else? Oh, I did a collab uh, project with uh, Jeremy Yell from Yell's Cutlery, who I'm sure you guys are familiar with. I don't know if you've had him on the podcast before. Nope, not nope. yet. Okay, so Jeremy is, you know, I, I live out in Quebec in pretty much middle of nowhere. The only other guy around that's like close to me who makes knives pretty well is Jeremy. And so we, you know, we spend a lot of time in each other's shops and have, have been doing that over the last, I don't know, five years that we've known each other. And he's taken classes and learned from people and I've taken classes and learned from people. And then We've sort of got different skill sets now, and we decided to do a collab project and try to bring those skill sets together. Um, so we we did a pretty neat feather pattern that included stuff that I'd learned from Jason Morrissey and that stuff that he'd learned from David Lish. And, and, and we came to the project with in, individual components that we'd worked on separately and you know, put them together. And uh, so that was fun. I mean, it's the first big collab project that I've done before. Um, and again, this is the right time of year to do it when like, I'm not that busy with other stuff. So, you know, I could get into doing something that was on spec, a big project and, you know, for fun. So. Hell yeah. Sounds awesome. You need those breaks in the monotony. Do you find that the mini sell good? Are you selling a lot more minis than you are full size? Yeah. I wouldn't be making them otherwise. Like, to be honest with you, um, I made one as a joke initially and they, you know, and then the demand for them instantly presented itself. I'm like, okay, I mean, can I do this in a way that's profitable? I figured it out. Yeah, I can. So let's go. So, yeah. Um, Although I do still prefer doing things as a pre-order. I mean, obviously like, you know, that, that gives the maker a certain amount of peace of mind knowing that the stuff is sold before they have to make it. I mean, that's, that's a much better position to be in. I find Mm -hmm. than then committing to a big batch and then just hoping that the people who said, yeah, I'll take one when they're ready, actually buy one when they're ready. Cause I mean, <laughs> in my experience, at least half of those people don't, you know? Sure. Mm. Yeah. Stuff changes for them and maybe they were really interested at first and then their interest tapers off. Number of different factors go into oh, that. For totally. Sure. And if they haven't committed, I mean, I can't fault them for it. You know, like, no. that's, that's fine. Yeah. So but yeah, the, the taking a break from from batches is is definitely uh, an important an important step. Sorry, you were going to say something, Noah. Oh, I was going to ask. So 
uh, moving backwards a little bit, you said you took some time off to work on some other projects. Is there anything there that you would mind sharing with us? Like what other kind of projects were you diving into? Oh, well, so for me, um, I, like my, my life was pretty much committed to music in, in a big way before I, well, when I was younger, man, you know, before I started actually having to work for a living and then support a family. So I put a lot of my musical kind of uh, projects on hold. Um, and then, so this winter, uh, reconnected with some guys who I've played music with in the past. We worked on a few old songs and did some recordings. And uh, and then I put myself basically through a bit of a regimen. I So basically, when I was a young man, I had a very different approach to creative work than I do now, right? I've learned over the last eight years as a full-time knife maker how to be disciplined um, and how to sort of organize my time appropriately, like what time of day is it best to do what type of work and, you know, stuff like that. And so I realized that I hadn't applied that new approach that I'd learned from knife making to any other creative prog, you know, project that I've done in my life. And so I was basically trying to take that approach and apply it to songwriting. And so I did this like one month writing every morning, um, you know, until I basically couldn't anymore. Um, because you know you ha- it's like it's like trying to lift something heavy you know your muscles start to get tired your brain starts to get fatigued as you force yourself to focus on writing um and so basically looking at it like a gym workout you know like every morning you're going to get up you're going to sit in this chair you're going to put the guitar in your lap you're going to write and it doesn't matter what it is it doesn't matter if it's good and it doesn't matter if it's important it doesn't matter if anybody will ever hear it you know it's just it's just was just for me that was that was the sole purpose of the exercise um and I hadn't done anything like that, like I said, since I started a family. So uh, it was great. It was really great. I mean, I, I can't promise that anything will come of it that anyone will ever be able to hear. But it doesn't really matter, to be honest. Like, that's what's nice about this. It's not about making a knife and selling it. It's it's not about writing a song and selling it. It's just about the process. Mm-hmm. So that's and been think, the primary focus for me. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that. Um, le- recently, there's been a, a, a spew in the making world of people trying to define knife making as either art or not. Mm-hmm. And I have opinions on it like everyone else does, but nobody really cares about my opinion. So I'm going to keep it myself. But it's interesting that I, I've heard um, a number of people refer to art as something that's done without necessarily having a purpose. And you touched on that really, you know, what you, when you were just saying, like, it doesn't matter if someone ever hears this. It doesn't matter if anyone ever sees it, if ever sees the light of day. You did it purely for the joy and the artistic expression of doing it. Yeah. And, and, and in my mind, that's a big component of what art is, is something that's done for the enjoyment of it or just, you know, like you said, the exercise of that thing. And not necessarily, doesn't matter if anything ever comes of it. No, and that's it's very liberating to to feel that way about something. Um, it removes a lot of the pressure of you know completing something to a certain standard, for instance. You know, like mm-hmm. obviously there's a lot of craft involved in songwriting, and and for me that that's the part that I'm trying to improve myself. At, you know, at is the craft of it. I'm trying to force myself to write, even if I'm not inspired, and that requires craft. It's like going to the work going to the workshop and saying, I don't feel like making a knife, but I'm going to make a goddamn knife, you know, because that's mm-hmm. what I'm doing. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. Um, so there's there's definitely a craft side to it. There's an art side to it. And and at the end of the day, like I remember hearing an interview with Bob Dylan, like they were asking, why did you write this song? You know, this this song has some political message or some, you know, what was the reason that you wrote the song? He said, I wrote the song because I wanted to hear a song like that. 
that's it. I just wanted to hear a song that sounded like that. So I wrote it. That's and a great answer. Yeah. I've, I've always loved that. I mean, and I think that if you can, if even if you can apply that to knife making, like, yes, at the end of the day, you have to sell it. But like, if you can say I made it because that was the only way I could get it. You know, I, I wanted there to be a knife like that in the world and no one else was making it. So I made it. For the sake of this conversation and to put it into perspective, the Oxford definition, they have two definitions of what is art. The expression or application of human creative skill or imagination, typically in a visual form such as painting or sculpture, producing works to be appreciated primarily for their beauty or emotional power. The second definition, the various branches of creative activity such as painting, music, literature, and dance. And they, right. they have the visual arts underneath that. Great. Yep. Now we're going to get a message or a, a reel from Toby because they read that off on their show last week. So he's nobody gonna... listens to that shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, rude. For everybody who's been following the little like uh, back and forth between myself and Tobias or Toby Mural, it's it's all in fun. We have a group chat, too, where we laugh about it and. They make fun of us because we're American. We make fun of them because they're British and they're ridiculous. <laughs> and it's all in good fun. Let me ask you guys, because I would imagine, you, you know, being that you're both mechanics by trade, you're craftsmen, um, you probably don't see yourselves as artists, at, like, at least when it comes to your knife making. I wouldn't uh, say in the traditional sense, you know, no. whereas like, uh, like art, like, yes, we're, we're all eccentric, but you know, there's this like traditional view of an artist, like the broke artist who's just out there slinging their, whatever their medium is just enough to get by. I think that counts for some of us, but not all of us. Yeah. You know? But I guess my question is, is it, is it a title that you are hesitant to self-apply? Yes. The only reason it says artist on my Instagram page is because that was the closest thing they would give me to what we do because there's no knife maker as an option right and it is absolutely artistic expression yeah i I believe it comes from the same part of the brain the same need that painters or draw people who draw or whatever have is the same need we have we just use different skill sets to express it i have a box of paintings in my basement that i did so so that's something that you've done in the past you've you've worked you've practice painting okay years and years and years ago it's funny because that is immediately like yeah that's art right it's because like painting would be considered art and anyone who paints like i mean you could by you know by definition call them an artist i suppose right Mm -hmm. but it's weird because as soon as i stopped i stopped like i there's probably 30 paintings in a box in my basement and my wife went through them and picked out ones she likes and hung them up in the house and i walk by them and i don't even it doesn't even click to me that I painted that. It's like, I was like, oh, what the, oh, I made that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to paint. You know, maybe I one day it, you will again. Maybe. So I think in the, in the knife world, I think it, like Ryan said, I think it varies from person to person. You know, there, there are guys out there who are particularly making a, a certain type of knife and they make that knife over and over and over again. And yes, it's functional and it's beautiful, um, but they're not really doing it as an expression of art. And so I think that those guys 
probably wouldn't consider themselves an artist. And I don't think I would consider them to be either. Um, but I think it depends on, I think it depends on how it's perceived, but also how it's intended. And for myself, I had, when I started knife making, I had run out of ways to express myself in an artistic way. Um, I also have done a lot of music when I was younger. A lot of the things that you hear on this podcast are, you know, me playing guitar, you know, um, so just not the intro, (laughs) but, uh, but, uh, you know, so, so I, I still do a little bit of music here and there, uh, but I've always had that. And then I was at this point in my life where I didn't really have it anymore. You know, I still have my guitars and I still, you know, but I didn't, there was nothing there for me at that point. And so when I found knife making, it became that expression for me. So I do see a decent amount of art in what I do. And part of it just becomes, part of it to me is that way because I'm creating something from essentially nothing. You know, you're taking a block of wood, you're taking a piece of steel and you're creating something out of it. Now, again, you know, you take that, or what are we going to do? We're going to call framers artists because they take a a pile of two by fours and turn it into a house. No, not necessarily, but to a certain degree, I think it's a small facet that you're taking something and then creating something else out of it. That is an artistic expression, especially if you are intending it to be that way when you do it. And especially guys who do like a lot of forging and stuff like that, or shoot, even stock removal, because if you think about, you know, Michelangelo, they're taking, or, uh, you know, some of the other sculptors um, and, and painters, you know, they're taking away material to create something underneath, you know? Uh, and so I think there is that artistic expression when you, whenever you're removing material or you're, you're shaping something for a purpose that could be utilitarian, but at the same time, you want every knife to be beautiful and attractive so that the customer wants to use it. It's all, it's one thing for them to want to buy it, but then you also like, especially, you know, we make a lot of kitchen knives. You want it to be up on a magnet or sitting in a block and you want that to be the first knife that the customer grabs. Well, it has to be attractive to their eye for them to want to do that. So it has to be beautiful. Yeah. So in some respect, you know, it, maybe some guys don't like the word beautiful. Maybe it looks cool, you know, whatever you want to call it. It looks badass, you know, and, and I go for that. Um, but there has to be that artistic expression once you reach a certain level and you have to be inspired by something or someone in order to create it in the first place. So yeah. there is a certain aspect of artistic expression in that. And I have my own uh, internal monologue into the way that I design my knives and the, the meaning behind them that nobody else knows, you know, and, and the way that I shape certain things because, you know, it serves no functional purpose necessarily, but it fits in the mindset that I have of where I'm going with my knives. So there is that bit of expression and I think it's recognized by some as well. So. Right. I, I, I think the influence part is a big part of it too, where, like you take me, for example, when I first started out, I had an idea in my head of what I wanted my knives to look like. And then I saw Noah Vishon, Mr. Noah. And oh, I was like, me. I was like, that's it. That's what in my head I had envisioned. And uh, in my mind, I'm like, oh, somebody else has been able to do this. That means I can do it. And that gives you a little bit more push forward. But it goes back to I think it's ingrained in all of us on some level to create. Yes, and definitely. And whatever it may be, my, my brother has this. He is the best guitar player I've ever met in my life. Richie absolutely fucking shreds, dude. But it's gotten him nowhere. 
<laughs> and he and he got to a point where he's like, I have kids. I want to settle down. I need a career. I need something that can actually generate market value. So he started tattooing. Now he makes more money than anybody I know. He's fucking rich. Richie, <laughs> Richie Rich. You know, Richie Rich. He doesn't deny it. He's still, he, he still acts like he's poor, but I know that I know better. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, and, and I want to be clear that in my opinion, in this being my show, I, we try to express that everything is a spectrum. There, I don't believe that there is one blanket right or wrong for any question in making. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Noah and I have this conversation with our friends all the time. Why would you do that on a chef? Why not? You fucking can. Who cares? Do it. Just do it. And if it sucks, don't do it again. But if it doesn't suck, you might be onto something. You never know. I, I, I think blanket rules and opinions on art or craftsmanship or anything like that are limiting. They're stifling to progress. At the end of the day, it's the clients that decide whether something is good or bad anyway. If somebody's willing to trade their hard-earned money for something that you made, it doesn't matter if the guy over there is looking at your work and saying, what a piece of crap that is. I'd never do it that way. Yeah, but the guy bought my knife. He didn't buy your knife. He bought my knife. So, you know, how wrong is it? You know, right. um, people are people are deciding what, what they like. And there's, a, like you said, big spectrum. Yeah. That's and an excellent point that I think a lot of people miss is – if the customer wanted it that way, the customer is going to get it that way. Sure. And if it's something that's an artistic decision that was made on the fly by the person making it, well, then the customer chose that maker for a reason and is going to love whatever that maker's doing. So it doesn't matter. As long as the, the customer is happy, that's that's the main goal. Right. And as makers, we're very critical of you know not only our own work, I think, but also other people's work that for whatever reason doesn't speak to us. And and I mean, it's probably a good thing that we don't like everything that we see. I mean, it's important for us to have a sense of, to you know, to be critical, of, you know, and to know what we like and to have a sense of, you know, our own aesthetic. I mean, that's important for us to develop, too. I mean, if you just walked around Blade Show and you went, that's amazing, that's amazing, that's amazing, and like you loved everything that you saw, well, you wouldn't be judging anything at a very deep level, I don't think, you know. It's important to analyze other people's work and to compare your work to it whether that's flattering or not flattering, you know, um, not to say that like, um, and, 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 and I mean, anyway, everybody's at their own level too. Right. And we're all on a journey. This is not like, this is not a fixed, it's not like a bunch of fixed pedestals and this person's at this level and always will be. I mean, we're all working towards improving our own work constantly. Right. I certainly wouldn't want somebody to judge me based on the knives I made in my first year. You know, mm -hmm. I've tried to buy some back. You have mm -hmm. successfully or, or, or no, no, they never no. no. It's always my buddies that I gave early knives out to. And they're like, no way. So it's what I've done in that case is said, give me the knife. I'm going to regrind it and I'll give it back to you. Yeah. They and, don't even want and, me to do that because oh, they don't want you to do that. Okay. For them, it's nostalgic because they see my progression, you know, like Richie cool. has the second chef knife I ever made. And He's like, I've never used it. It sits up on the shelf. And he's like, sometimes I take it down and I look at it. And then I look at one that I made him a couple of years ago. And he's like, and then the one he, I made him a couple of years ago is dog shit compared to the ones I make now. Right. You know, um, what you said about we're all on levels. There's a quote and it always hit me. It was, uh, we're all in the same game, just playing different levels, battling the same hell 
just different devils. Mm. That's good. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, well, I think the other, the other thing that you said, Noah, was, um, you know, how boring would it be if we all made, you know, something that we all like? And I think that's important to look around when you're, you know, out. Let's say we're out in public. I know, I know, I know you guys. You all want to stay in your shops and you don't want to go out in public. But just imagine you're in a public setting, okay? Imagine you're at Blade Show. There's a happy place, okay? There's all different kinds of people there. They all look different than you. They act different than you. They talk different than you. And how boring would the world be if they were all the same as you? Like it's it, it takes all kinds, you know. And, and when I'm out walking and I and I see somebody who very clearly lives a very different lifestyle than I live, I look at them and I go, "Huh, it takes all kinds." And I surprisingly, think surprisingly, Blade shows a great place for that there's a wide variety of weirdos at fucking blade show (laughs) absolutely absolutely and you might go to blade show as a knife maker thinking you're going to like everything you see there and i guarantee you you will not because the world is huge right so the world is huge and it takes all kinds and everybody sees things from a different perspective yes you are the main character in your life but everyone else is also the main character in their own lives so you have to be able to look at it from different people's perspectives and understand and not only understand, but appreciate the fact that everyone is different and has different tastes and ideas. And think of that as a good thing because it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And, I mean, it, we're almost beating a dead horse here, but I feel like it's it's important to reassure everybody now and again that just because you're doing something differently doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. You know, I said in our group chat right before we hopped on here that I was going to make a clip point chef knife just to piss people off. <laughs> Yeah, because realistically, the clip's not going to affect the performance of the knife at all. But it's not something people think is is supposed to be done. Might as well do it just because just because you can. That's actually hilarious that you said that, because um, I won't get too deep into it, but I'm in talks with somebody about doing a a production run for their brand. And um, it's a brand of like uh, high end smokers and barbecues and stuff like that. And one of the proposals that we made was like a, was a sharpened, a sharpened clip on a chef no. knife. <laughs> yeah. And I know, I mean, I totally agree with you, Ryan. It's, it's goofy and it's like what that doesn't belong there. I mean, but it's not that different from like a harpoon clip, which you see a lot of. Um, and, but I thought, you know, a sharpened clip, you don't see that too often on a chef knife. So that might yeah. Be and to a maker, we're like, that's dumb. But to somebody who does not make knives and doesn't know anything about the rules of knife making, they're like, that looks awesome. I'm going to fucking buy it. You know, it, it, what we and, think. Yeah, is and correct. as long as the, the design language is all consistent, too. Right. I mean, if it's if it, I mean, if it's like a like a French classic French style chef and then you stick a, a you know, a sharpened swedge on it, but like that doesn't make sense. But if it if it's like a if it's like a um, like a gaucho style knife, right, like that's sort of like borderline fighter almost but it, you know but designed for barbecue well then you could see vestiges of like fighting knives being being left into the design language like, of a blade like that right like a k-tip tonto you, yeah what <laughs> i just blew everybody's mind yeah like a k-tip tonto That's you just make a- the you just make the angle go the opposite the other direction. way <laughs> oh god okay we need to get off of this ryan um <laughs> Uh, who sponsors this stuff <laughs> maritime knife supply and 
Lawrence Lake is the man. I'm not going to announce it yet because it hasn't happened officially yet, but Lawrence is working on something very huge for us and all on his own time out of the kindness of his heart. So Lawrence is the man. I'm wearing a sweatshirt right now for a reason. Come on, guys. Mm hmm. Nice. Nice. Hustle and Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Gooses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. And tell them we sent you, eh? Eh? And I would like to say, don't be afraid, everybody, to try something somebody else suggests just because somebody else suggested it and it wasn't an original idea. I'm getting ready to build my grinding room because I got a few more cleavers to make, and then I have no orders. And I wanted to do up a couple of chef knife blanks before then, just so I have them ready for once the room is done. And Noah mentioned on a few shows ago that I should put my EDC handle on one of the K-tip hidden tang designs that I do. And in the moment, I was like, meh, okay. And then I, I actually drew it out, and I cut it out, and I was like, that's actually pretty fucking awesome. It's like, that looks really great. So don't be scared. I'm actually excited to grind them. I'm like, this is going to be cool. I will take credit um, from all of your future success uh, with those. <laughs> <laughs> I will happily take that credit, sir. Yes. And you, and you know what? The fact that you're excited about them will probably mean that they will be cool because the projects that you're most invested in and like psyched about, they're the ones that turn out the best. I mean, the and, and the ones that you're kind of like, fuck, I wish you didn't have to make this goddamn knife. Like they, <laughs> those ones never turn out. They always have like a stink on them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like even if they look okay, they've got a stink on them for some reason. And, and That's why so, I don't want to do customs anymore because mm. I, I always feel that way on a custom. I you're never happy with it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I just want, I just want to fucking do what I want. Yeah. You know? And now you are. And now I am. Actually, I have the blanks ready. I'll show you. Cool. Sweet. Well, while he's grabbing those, I think maybe it's time to uh, play a little bit of uh, where in the world is Florida man after he shows off these blanks. Okay, cool. You've played this game before, right? I don't. I, actually, I think I might have played it once. Yeah, I mean, it's the same one that, I mean, it's basically the same game you guys have been doing for a little while, like a, a, bit, a year and a bit or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just okay. Just guessing where in the world Florida Man is. A bunch of ridiculous stories, you know, the typical Florida Man headline. And the point is, is just to guess whether it was truly a Florida Man or an imposter from a different state. That's a sexy looking knife you got there, Ryan. Well, yeah, that's are, cool. That's the thinner version. Like, it's got less belly. And then that's the wide, that's usually the blade profile I do diamond grinds on, but this one's not going to be a diamond grind. Nice. I mean, maybe, maybe it will. I don't know. They take so much time. You know, Noah, you came up with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't do a whole lot of them these days. I'll do them as, <laughs> as batches. If, if it's, a, if it's a batch, it's, it's manageable. But like when I'm doing one-offs, having to constantly switch back and forth between the wheel and the flat. And the, yeah, it's a bit of a pain in the butt for sure. Mm-hmm. that's why you gotta get your grinding room finished man multiple grinders that's where it's at i know i'll have three of them set up side by side and i'm like i don't even know what to do nice yeah 
All right, Ryan, we're going to play a little bit of uh, Where in the World is Florida Man. You ready? Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready to play Where in the World is Florida Man. Before we start, I'm going I'm to forget if I don't say it now. So the name of these knives, the thin one is called the Noah. Okay. And the thick one is the Bloomberg. Look at that. Because they were Noah's idea. Hey, he deserves all the credit, right? Well, That's no, correct. actually, you probably deserve a little bit. You're going to have to make them. <laughs> I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> uh, most of my knives are have some sort of link to swans, but there's only so many terms for different swans. So I was like, Noah came up with it. So, <laughs> All right. I, I guess I'll take it. That's... It's an honor. You'll have to take it. I'm speechless. I don't even know what's <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. Um, so, Let's yeah. Do this. So we're, everybody's favorite game. Uh, I have three news stories in front of me. Unfortunately, for all of humankind, they are all entirely real. They really happened. Question is where did they happen? It's the classic Florida Man headline. It begins with the words Florida Man and it ends with the worst thing you've ever heard in your life. We begin. Man dumps $33,000 in stolen rare coins into change machines. <laughs> Authorities say a man stole collectible coins worth tens of thousands of dollars, then ran them through grocery store change machines that returned just a fraction of their value. The Post reports that 20-year-old Shane Anthony Melee told investigators he stole the commemorative presidential dollar coins and other items from an office in December. The coins were worth three, sorry, $33,000. Uh, the arrest report says... Uh, he sold some of the coins for a few thousand dollars, but he run, ran most of them uh, through the change machines for face value. Uh, he was charged charged with grand theft along with unrelated drug charges and released after posted bond. Do you believe that this was a Florida man or where in the world was? Mm, that sounds pretty Florida. Hmm. I'm kind of thinking you're not going to lead with a Florida story, though. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. You never I'm know saying, with old Noah. I'm saying nothing. You're going Florida, Ryan? Yeah, I'm going to go Florida because there's a lot of old people in Florida. And other than myself, it tends to be old people who collect coins. Okay, that's a good point. I'm going to go Buffalo, New York. Because of Buffalo, New York. I don't know. Just because that popped into my head and I don't think it's Florida. <laughs> and I don't know American <laughs> geography. <laughs> Classic. All right. Final answers? Yep. Yeah. That's Florida, man. Yes. Ah. Yeah, but you've got an advantage. You got the home court advantage. No, no. He usually gets it wrong. Almost, oh, really? almost invariably. If <laughs> Ryan guesses something, you should guess the opposite. Pretty think much. You'd pick up, you'd, you'd think he would pick up on the, uh, the clues that, that I drop in here. This one, the clues were that's stupid as hell. That's Florida level stupid right there. And then the fact that he was uh, he was charged with that along with unrelated drug charges. Just the fact that he happened to have like drugs on him for something unrelated. I mean, come on. Everybody in Florida is on drugs. Those were the clues. I missed it. I mean, you have to be in order to survive the humidity, I guess. Um, sorry, guys. I know you live in Florida. I know you love it. I know. I know you love the weather. And it's it's great. But... We make fun of you every single week, and we're going to keep doing it. All right, next up. 
Thief accidentally steals a vacuum cleaner filled with hundreds of giant hornets. Don, Don Shump, owner of a bee removal company, stared at the empty bed of his pickup last Friday. His portable shop vac, an essential appliance for any bee removal specialist, had gone missing. But then Shump remembered what had been inside the vacuum. Hundreds of large hornets, giant queens, and yellow jackets he had left swarming in the machine overnight. A thief had unsuspectingly stolen a hornet's nest. And not just any hornets, but European hornets, the only true hornet species in North America. These buzzing bugs in, uh, in uh, blah, 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 bodies as big as wide as a silver dollar, largest social stinging insects in the United States, cranky creatures, stubbornly defensive of their colonies. Uh, <laughs> European hornets are known to sting repeatedly and without warning. Well, this is going to be extremely unpleasant for somebody, he thought. He posted an open letter to the bee bandit on Facebook. To the poor soul who lifted the shop vac out of the back of my truck, I wanted to give you a heads up, he wrote, warning that the queen bees, quote, should be full of life and extra spicy. I anxiously await your unboxing video. <laughs> That's pretty funny. He so didn't where, hear where, where, do those hornets live everywhere in the States? Like, where... Would they would they be like on, like only West Coast or like Southern or? I mean, I mean we have. I don't I've know if we have hornet as big as a silver dollar. I don't think we have them that big here in the Northeast, but we definitely have yellow jackets. We have ground dwelling yellow jackets, which are the worst because you'll step on their hole and yeah. they'll fly up your pants and fucking sting the shit out of you. They're smaller, I think, right? Yeah, they're little and they yeah. hurt. And they it's not like a bumblebee where they'll sting once and die. They can sting they you keep multiple times. Yeah, I've sat on one of those. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I I, mean, could it be double Florida? I mean, are you really? It could be. Could it be double Florida? Warm, <sighs> warm climate down there. Right. So they don't like here. They have to hibernate every year. Right. That's what I'm thinking. Somewhere warm, somewhere where like, you know, almost like tropical. Oh, fuck it. Florida. Uh, yeah, like I know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like, I don't like to give a lot of hints here, <laughs> but I will say that it, it, Potentially could be anywhere in the eastern United States. Uh, eastern United States. I'm going to go Florida. I'm with you, Ryan. I mean, you were right last time, so riding your coattails. Let's do it. I told okay. you never to guess. What you guess. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't have done it. That was Philly. Oh, uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know why, but yeah, apparently it was a huge colony. Um, I forgot to mention uh, the first. Uh, First article was sent in by uh, Brian Hunt of Hidden Rose Forge. Thank you, sir, for your contribution to the show. Uh, and then that one, the Hornet one, was sent in by David Burke, OLC Knives. Thank you, sir, as well. We have one more story. It reads, Cop resigns after mistaking falling acorn for a gunshot, firing at unarmed suspect cuffed in patrol car. A police officer resigned after opening fire on an unarmed man who was handcuffed in his patrol car because he confused the sound of an acorn hitting the vehicle with a muffled gunshot. Uh, Jesse Hernandez handed in his badge in December following the incident. Uh, Sergeant Beth Roberts, who also opened fire, was exonerated after an internal investigation and remained on the job. Uh, the suspect, Marquis Jackson, was luckily uninjured, but the situation was traumatic for him, police acknowledged. Uh, the incident was captured on his body cam and released by the department. Uh, so he searched the guy. I, I didn't. It's too much. Too much here. 
basically he searched the guy, cuffed him, put him in the car, uh, was looking for a stolen vehicle, and then went back to like research him or something. And as he got back to the car, uh, an acorn fell on the car, which he mistaked for mistook for a gunshot. And luckily, he's a terrible shot because like he dumped some ammo into Both this cops. patrol. I have car. to recuse myself from this one because I know the answer because it's been all oh. over the news down here. It, it has. All of, uh, I saw a video of, uh, you know, that scene from Boondock Saints where Willem Dafoe is like, it was a firefight. <laughs> and then, like, they edited it all together. They fired 36 shots. This in, is more in, than one cop? More than one cop. So the yeah, first cop. So the, um, so the first, first cop, cop resigned. Like, and yeah. then the, the sergeant, Beth Roberts, who also opened fire, she was exonerated because she was just following what he had said. You know, she didn't. The first cop was the acorn cop. And he started unloading into his cruiser and he like the video is pretty ridiculous. He does like a fucking barrel roll and shit. And he's like, I'm hit and he's shooting at the shit. And then the other cop is like, oh, no, he's being shot at. So she started shooting, too. Just like a like she didn't know what was going on. She was just following. I want to know. like, Sure, that's a large amount of adrenaline. But why do you why do you think you're hit if you're not hit? Like what? Where does that come from? I don't know. Wow. But yeah, he's like ducked behind like another car and everything, like taking cover while firing. It, it It's pretty, pretty amazing. The memes have been ridiculous. And this one was sent in by many people. So I wasn't sure if I'd be able to get away with it because I figured a lot of people had seen it, but I figured I had to put it on here. But Noah's Canadian. So he is. I haven't seen it. I mean, Canadian. yeah. I mean, I didn't know that that had happened. Um, but that's terrifying. I mean, that's terrifying <laughs> to think that like that. Uh, a police officer could be like on that much of like a hairpin that any loud bang might just cause them to go into like a shooting frenzy. Like that, that's how that's loud scary. is an ac- how loud is an acorn hitting the top of your car too? Like that's not that loud. Like, it's it's got to be a tall oak, right? Is it? That's, that's a tall ass tree. <laughs> yep, that's what have it you, is. Have you ever so been pulled over in your is, time in the states? Sorry, been, what was that? Have you ever been pulled over anytime you've been down here? Ah, uh, years and years and years ago, I got pulled over. Um, I was driving through Connecticut on the ni- 91. Is that the 91 that goes through on the way to down in New York? I-95. I-95. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I got pulled over on the 95. But he, he was, it was, um, it was, I guess, cause you guys have this thing. What is it? Bo- uh, highway patrol, right? Which is like a different kind of cop. Yeah. State like, police. They ju- they're state police. Okay. Yeah. yeah we don't have like the interstate. They just do the interstate. I don't know if we have specifically that type of cop here, but anyway, I mean, he was very chill. He was like, I didn't have any, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid he was going to like start shooting me. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was a civil exchange. Um, so, so uh, if I have to guess here, I mean, I'm guessing, you know, East coast just because the, like Ryan, you said, you've been hearing a lot of it. Um, and Oak trees. So, but like, I'm guessing just not Florida. Can I just say not Florida? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, to... you don't have to be specific. It's just yeah, Florida so just not. not Florida. That's my guess. That's your guess. Yeah, I, I can tell by the look in your face already that I've fucked up. <laughs> I'm wrong, yeah. clearly. Right? That was Florida, man. Fuck. Yeah, it was Florida. No. They had but another one. Price. Not just that one. They had another one in Florida that wasn't as bad. They. So this guy let him on a high speed chase and he crashed and he gets out of the car and he starts running up a hill and another cop runs up on the car and out of frame, you see a police dog 
just like a oh, bullet yeah. jump onto the cop's arm. So the, the police dog was confused as to who the perp was and attacked another cop. It didn't take him that long to figure out that he was, you know, it was a mistake, though. He was a good no, boy. No, the other cop he, called him off and was like, see, that go that way. That guy. That guy. Not, yeah. not that one. That guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That yeah. seems to be that this this shows up in my feed from time to time, like on Instagram is these like, uh, I guess it's like um, body cam videos or whatever, like just altercations between cops and people. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like it. It makes me very fucking uncomfortable. Like the, 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 it's too, it's too visceral. Like it's, I mean, to see these things go down so quickly and so like, just like it's just it's disorder it's chaos a lot of the time right like and it's happening like in a split second and and those are decisions that are so important because they're impacting somebody's life like yeah anyway well but it's kind of like it's like accident porn right it's like you people just can't (laughs) they can't tear their eyes from it right yeah when i first saw the acorn story i wasn't really that surprised i wasn't Mm. like how how would this happen like I've I've been in some instances where I was dealing with hair trigger cops who were just fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. We had a we had a, a notorious crooked cop in my hometown, a brewer man. Oh, dude, you did too. I mm-hmm. I had one of those. Yeah, we had a notorious one. Beat his wife, got a kid killed. He was a piece of shit, and also my wrestling coach. He was oh, no kidding. This one this one was my t-ball coach. <laughs> he finally got fired. Because he got pulled over by another cop drunk driving in a different town, the town across the river. And he was like, but I'm a sergeant. And they were like, yeah, we know. That's worse. Yeah. That's worse. Uh, real quick, I got to go back. Um, that last story, the acorn story, was sent in by CJ Miller from Miller Knife Works, Evan Murray, and probably a few others. I'm sorry, guys. I can't take screenshots of like every single message I get. I try when if somebody sends me in a story, I take a screenshot of it, I save it in a folder so that I can go back through. But when I get, you know, there's so many people sending this in, so thank you it, guys it, for contributing to the show. I appreciate that. I just I can't keep track of all of it. Normally, we wouldn't make light of these situations because the you know it is a fucked up scenario that we have in this country. No, no, no. He didn't die. But nobody, the, nobody did, died. We nobody can make fun died, of it. so we're good. <laughs> they they right. shot thirty six rounds into that car from both sides, the front and the back. And didn't hit the guy. That's amazing. That's, that's unbelievable. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's more like disappointing: their marksmanship <laughs> or their or their trigger discipline. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's like that scene me. from uh, Pulp Fiction where he unloads on the guy and doesn't. Yeah, hit him. it's pretty much that. Yeah. But anyways, so what you were saying about the whole like those sorts of videos popping up, it made me think because I see that sometimes too, and it's like I don't want to be scrolling through Instagram and see somebody die. Like mm-hmm. that's not that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to mm-hmm. like see some funny memes and some cool knives that my friends have made. Like I don't want to see people die. You know, like that's not that's not cool. But the other thing about it is, is like Instagram is flagging all of our shit right now for like <laughs> the smallest thing. And you show people like shooting each other, and like that's totally fine. Like, yeah. come on. No, I something's think- broken, man. It doesn't make any fucking sense at all. I- I see straight up nudity, and yeah, well, yeah, I get, that too. I get flagged for nudity in a post because my thumb is in it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, this is you ridiculous. Should, you got to wear gloves, dude. That's the problem. That's what I tried. Um, that. Somebody I tried else that. told me that too. That wearing uh, gloves gets you better reels. 
better Colton, reviews. Colton Arias. Arias. Uh, Sorry for messing up his name. The Barbell uh, Blacksmith. Yeah, he's mentioned that um, on this and other shows before. But I think he said specifically TikTok doesn't like hands for some reason. But wearing those black nitrile gloves um, helps to keep from getting flagged for some reason. So I don't know if it actually works, but I started doing it. So, I mean, why not? I've found that a lot of my reels on my outside because the lighting's better. And Vern will always come up and stand underneath me and see what I'm doing. The reels that have his face in them do way better than the ones that don't. <laughs> yeah, people love sense. dogs, man. People love dogs more than they like people. So, I mean, that makes sense. Guilty. So, I, I had an interesting experience. I, I, so, I, I, I have a cat that I found in the ditch, like in the summer, and we like oh, yeah. have them, and we we adopted him. So, I was like, "Fuck it!" I'm. I know this is the cheap, like low blow, but I'm making a video about how I saved this cat because I'm like, I know this is gonna do okay. You know, it's the medium yeah. for that kind of story, right? Yeah. So, I, I made a little video and I posted it up. I just checked. It's at 270,000 views. It's like <laughs> the most, most like high performing content I have ever created has nothing to do with knives. It's just cat. This is, a, you know, so like maybe we all need to put our, our pets in our videos more often. Yeah. Hot tip guys, post videos of your cat. Pickle did that for a while. Cause he, that cat adopted him for uh, a while and then he then he just pissed off i guess some someday but oh, is that uh, what happened because uh, i stopped seeing the cat in the videos i was wondering i yeah. think that's what pickle said i can't remember exactly he um, just took, the cat just took off one day i think so yeah that's the, the you know wild cats man yeah yeah we've had he might come back in a couple months maybe but anyways if you're trying to sell knives take videos of your cat yeah, yeah. somehow that's what you gotta do Maybe it wasn't a homeless cat this whole time. And Pick- Pickle kidnapped somebody else's cat and Pickle didn't even stole know somebody's it. Cat. And then the cat was like, oh, yeah, I have a family. <laughs> like, or they back. found him and knocking yeah. on the shop door. There's, yeah. some, back. there's some little kid somewhere crying every night. And, and Pickle's just like, oh, I'm going to give this cat some weed. You know? <laughs> oh, man. I'd love to have a shop cat. But it's a little poisonous out here right now. Once the grinding room's built, it wouldn't be bad. But yeah, I think knife shops aren't great for for animals. And like anything yeah. living, yeah. No, they're down go. on the ground. Like there's yeah. all kinds of awful shit on the floor and in the air. And yeah, I thought about it too, but I I just don't feel like it would be right for the yeah, animal. I don't, I don't let my dog in inside the shop. Like he can watch me from outside the door, and you know I'll step outside and take him take a second to give him some, some pets, but, or throw his ball for him. But, uh, yeah, he doesn't get to step in the shop. There's metal shavings. I don't want him stepping on all that. Or God a dog will, will eat something. Exactly. I caught him drinking out of my swarf bucket one time. And oh. ever, I thought he was going to get something and just die. And yeah. uh, you've heard those horror stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I didn't want that. So anyways, yeah, he's completely banned from the shop or, you know, he's a, lab so he's obsessed with his ball so he'll drop it and if it rolls in the shop it's covered in slobber like it's a tennis ball so it picks up all of that crap all over the floor so i have to wash his ball like every single time he tries to bring it to me while i'm in the shop so that's a no that's no no we're done georgia will come out here but she knows she's a very smart dog and she'll just come and sit in my chair because i won't let her sniff around because they're both hounds i'm like all you guys do is sniff you can't be out here but she yeah. knows now, like, just if she wants to come in, she just sits in my chair and watches me. Vern is afraid to come in the shop, and I think it's because of the smells. 
so but he'll stand outside and scratch at my door and if i ignore him i'll go out and there'll be a toy laying right at the (laughs) foot of the the door and a piss spot so he always (laughs) like he's like mad and he drops his toy and pees and then leaves goes back in the house is is it a a basset hound or a bloodhound or what kind of he's a, a blue tick blue tick hound right okay cool yeah yeah, they're hunting dogs, right? I mean, they're supposed they're... to be. I don't think he could hunt shit. He's not very bright. <laughs> He's not, man. I, I've had a lot of dogs in my life, and he, he could be one of the dumbest ones. But he's such a good dog. He's a good boy. He's just dumb. <laughs> just, you know. He's a handsome pup, too. He's a good looking He boy. is. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably why when he's in my reels, they do better. Because they're like, oh, my God, look at him. Because he's gorgeous. He's big too. He's seventy five pounds. He's a big boy. If only he was making the knives. Mm. Can't eat around him because he just rains drool, and he fucking <laughs> just, he gets like right up in your food, and he starts drooling on it. I'm like, dude, going in the crate. You got to go in the crate, bud. You can't be drooling in my mashed potatoes. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways. Um, Ryan, if you're going to grind some knives, where are you going to get the abrasives to grind that stuff? Oh, probably from Greg over at Phoenix Abrasives. Hustle and Grind podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Abrasives, your one-stop abrasive shop. When you go to phoenixabrasives.com, click the shop icon in the upper right-hand corner to find all the abrasives you'll ever need. Check out the Incinerator 36-grit ceramic belts, along with the Trizact gator belts that the hosts of Hustle & Grind use every day. When you check out, use code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your entire order. That's right, guys. Last time we talked about abrasives, I was talking about those incinerators and how I was going to start using those, just keep a couple on hand and just use them for grinding bevels. And I did that just this morning. And I heat treated a blade yesterday, and so I just needed to grind the bevels. I leave, I leave them thick when I heat treat. The last thing I want to do is see warps. Um, but grinding those bevels in with that incinerator, and I'm just saving it just for bevels, so it'll stay kind of a little bit, a little bit nicer because those incinerators just last um, phenomenal. I just love this, the finish that you get from. I mean, it's a 36 grit finish, but it's just so nice and clean, and it removes material in such a nice way. I absolutely love it. And then those gator belts that we're always talking about, I slap those on that WIP attachment that I have from Meribraid. And when I'm sanding that bolster transition on the integrals with that WIP attachment, those gator belts, Ryan always talks about this, the different thicknesses of belts affecting the radius when you are grinding. And it's a big, big factor when you're talking about grinding the integral bolster transition. I grind that because I got to grind all my forge scale off because I'm not very good at forging. You got to grind that transition with a 36 so you can get that nice and smooth. Well, then what are you going to do? You're going to go down to a 120. It's going to change the size of the the wheel entirely. But that gator belt on there that's got that nice thick abrasive on there, and you have much, much less difference between the thicknesses of the belts. So those gator belts are fantastic for working on an integral grinding jig. Um, and they, they make hand sanding after you get that transition done so much easier. Nice soft backing. So, mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. So you're saying all their grits are the same thickness? Mm-hmm. On, on the all gator the, belts, yes. On the right. gators, all, 
all the right, way up to right. eight hundred. Anything over eight hundred is the thinner material. So on a flat, probably won't make a difference. But if you're doing a radius or a hollow grind, I said your... the Gator is like. Is it similar to like the Trizact in the sense that it's like nubby? It's like bumpy. It, it is the Trizact. Oh, called, oh, oh, okay, yeah. I, see, I see. They're called Trizac Gators. Trizac Gators, right, yeah, yep. okay. And then Norton has a version called Norax. Those work good, too. It's right. a different. It's a different pattern on the grit, but it's the same idea. They keep the same thickness throughout the grits. The Norax aren't quite as thick, though, and I haven't tried mm-hmm. throwing one of those on a small wheel. They're a much stiffer backing belt. I'm not sure if they would work quite as well as the Gators do. They don't last as long as the Trizacs, but they they cut very nice. And they if they you're do. doing a machine finish, they leave a very nice finish if you don't feel like hand sanding and you just want to go satin. But Very true. Very true. Baker a little more consistent. This week. A little more consistent than the Gator belts, I would say, because they, mm-hmm. they wear more evenly than the Gators do. So I feel like it's a more consistent finish you get with those Norax ones. Yep. Yep. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, I was just saying Gator had some good, or Baker had some good drops this week. <laughs> <laughs> Not Gator. Dude. Gator Forge and Tool. Yeah, well, those guys. <laughs> yeah, no. The Baker boys, they had some good drops this week. They had some leftovers of Riptide that went out. And another Makume drop. Have you made knives with their with their steel? Mm-hmm. Okay. I've got a bar in the shop right now. I just it's so nice I can't decide what to do with it. You're not doing that for custom orders. That's just like when you feel like making something special kind of thing. Yeah, unless they want to pay for it. Cause it's I, I mean, how much does it work out to approximately material cost for like let's say an eight inch chef knife when you're when you're using that stuff? Totally depends on the pattern. Yeah. Oh, okay, right. The yeah, I see. Yeah, um, it can be anywhere from like a hundred to three hundred bucks, depending on the the pattern and the size of the billet. Oh, yeah. so a hundred bucks on the low end for like for let's say like an eight inch chef. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, the- I've got a bar of uh, like an eight. Uh, sorry, Brian. There. Uh, it's I think it's a fourteen inch by two inch, um, and it's nice and thin, so perfect for a chef knife. And uh, that was their dark my, which is one of my absolute favorite patterns they've ever done. It's super clean, super simple, um, and I think that billet was right around a hundred bucks. Is the dark my the one where they basically just have that nice bright line of nickel that runs through the middle? Uh, yeah, or copper. Oh, it's, it oh, it's copper. Oh, okay. They have done it with the nickel. Koi, if you're listening, you should do that again. I want to buy a bar of that. Um, but yeah, the, just the just the copper shim is the one that I have. Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. Like the bar I have is two. It's like two and a quarter wide by eighth inch thick by 14 and a half long. And it's the raindrop with the nickel shim. And that yeah, bar was fancy billet. I, yeah, it's a fancy billet and it's big. I think that one is a, a hair over 300. And you'll get like one knife out of that. I get, I get two, if you do a big, if you do like a big knife. Yeah. If I did a huge chef, I could, I could get two normal, I could get two eight inch with the, with the hidden tangs out of it probably. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The hidden tangs is definitely a way to go when you're trying to, when you're trying to mm-hmm. maximize your materials like that. Yeah. Yeah. A full tang really on a show off that piece almost seems like a waste. Cause you, no, you show off the pattern in the spine, man. Lots of people really true. dig that. I've had customers where I've asked them if they wanted to do, you know, uh, a hidden tang on something that's, you know, like a fancier pattern. And they're like, no, I want to see the spine. And they just really love that. So it's worth Fair it. If they, that's what the customer wants. Yep. And if people go over there, they can use our code hustle 10, get 10% off. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. So 10% off a $300 bill. It's pretty good. Yep. Yes, sir. 
And we appreciate you guys doing that. Helps mm-hmm. them to know that you guys are listening and helping to support all the people that support us. Speaking of cool steel, um, Noah, I was checking out that uh, quick uh, etch reveal or pattern reveal that you did on that feather. That's sweet, man. Is is You've done a few feathers before, I'm guessing? I've played with feather. Um, I don't, I honestly don't think I've ever done like a normal traditional feather, just like the way that God intended it. I've always had to mess with it in some way. So this one is a, a mosaic feather. So it's essentially like an inception. So it's a, I forge a feather billet and then I draw it out and then tile it and then re-split it so that the branches of the feather are more feathers. Oh, so you're feathering it twice. Yes. Yes. That's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a ton of work. It's a ton of work. Yeah. So, uh, the, I don't even know how many forge welds I have by the end of it. Um, cause I don't have, a, I, don't, I have a 12 ton press, so I can't even start, you know, there's so much loss in between each, um, each forge weld. I start with two billets and then join them together to, as I go through the process. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a ton of work. Um, but I'm really excited for this one. It's the first integral. I've done one one of this as the, the pattern I call the fox feather. I did a, a hidden tang petty chef out of it for my first one that I did. And so this is somebody saw that and wanted um, wanted a knife with that pattern. And so this is the second one that I've done. And it's an integral camp knife. Speaking of clip points, you know, it's a, got a big harpoon style clip on it. Um, but yeah, nice. it's. So that's a commission. Yes. Yeah. Most of what I do is custom orders. Um, I, I rarely just make stuff for fun, although hopefully that will be coming up soon. Um, my goal is to be able to take a couple, couple blades to show off at blade, uh, in Atlanta. So hopefully I'll be able to just kind of make whatever I want for that. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Very excited. Have a, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Well, I was just going to ask you if you had plans for the handle for that knife. Yes, uh, the customer picked out the handle as well. And speaking of blade, it is a block that I picked up from uh, High Koa at Blade last year, and it is one of the most amazing dark chocolatey, massively figured pieces of Koa that I've ever seen. And so I'm very excited to put that on uh, a knife that I'm as proud of as I am of this one. So nice. It always feels good eh, when you've got a a block that you've been hanging on to. And you're like, nah, that, this project's not good enough for that block. I'll, exactly. I'll, I'll hold up. And then you finally have a project that you're like, that actually, this is good enough for that block. I finally get to like, it's like you've unlocked a new level. You're like, yes. Yeah. Nice, man. Congrats. That's that's cool. I'm looking forward to seeing the finished product. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it was kind of weird. I, I've been doing nothing but chef knives recently. And I've just been, um, I've just been pushing the boundaries of edge thinness as far as I can take it. And so then all of a sudden I'm, oh, I'm doing a camp knife. How thin am I going to grind this? You know, cause I used to do everything by feel and I took pride in that fact, you know, like I don't, I don't need to measure stuff. I just want to do what I want to do and I want to do it by feel and you know, whatever feels good to me. And recently I've been starting to get a lot more meticulous about my edge geometry, my edge consistency and thickness. And so I'm like, how, how thin should I grind this for a camp knife? You know, it's, it's a mosaic feather. Will it ever be used? Very unlikely. But it, it has to be able to perform like a camp knife or, you know, like a hunter if it ever needed to. Yeah. Um, you know, just like you're not going to not heat treat the steel for a, you know, for a display knife. Like you're still going to make it a usable knife despite how pretty it might be. Um, so 
I, I asked quite a few people. I threw it up on my story, and so then everybody everybody kind of gave me the same the same basic right, right around thirty thou between twenty and thirty. So that's pretty much what everybody said. A couple of people gave me angle degrees that they like to use for um, for the actual edge, and I appreciate that. I'm going to go with a little bit of a stiffer edge because I went a little bit thinner than maybe I should have. I'm right between like twenty twenty two thousandths on the edge right now, and it's not going to get much thinner. It's it's up to about 120, 220-ish grit right now. I'm kind of in between the grits. Um, so yeah, it's going to be- You can always push it back by, 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 you know, moving your profile slightly, right? I mean- I considered that and I might still do that yeah. just to give a little bit stouter of an edge. Yeah, if you but, had to, yeah. It always blows okay. my mind when people want to use high-end Damascus on camp choppers or like EDCs that are going to get abused. I'm like, are you sure? You sure you want to do that? Because it's not going to look that cool after you use it two or three times. No, right. I doubt this thing's ever going to be used. It's going to be put up on a mantle, unfortunately. Shelf queen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Am I the only one that gets annoyed when customers tell me they don't use it? They, It's like on display. No. no, I've always gotten annoyed about that, but this one I'm okay with it. Yeah, I think it depends on the knife too, right? I mean, like obviously if you're doing a mono steel, like, you know, you're doing a diamond grind on a mono steel knife. I mean, that's like totally designed to be used. If somebody's not using it, like put a scratch on it for Christ's sake. Like as soon as you get the first scratch on it, you will get over it. You know, yes. like just, you know, break, you know, you got to break it in or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, they're tools. We want them to be used. Obviously you want to, you want to, you want to see like that pick of this guy, like, you know, skinning the elk or whatever. Right. With, with, with the, with the feather hunter that you're making, right? Like, I'm sure ideally you would prefer it to be used. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've always wanted all my knives to be used. Um, I, I, every so often you get that person where it's like, oh, it's so nice. I don't want to use it. And it's like, come on. Like, especially early, earlier on in my making, I'm like, it's not that nice. Like, come on. You know, like, <laughs> just, just use the thing. Yeah, I can relate. So and then you get kni- knives thrown through the dishwasher after that. And then you're like, maybe don't use it. Are you going to blade, Noah? Of course I'm going oh, to blade. Oh, oh sorry. The other, no, there are two of us. No. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, you know, it's, I, that only, this is the first time this happened. So, I mean, you know, we've, we've kept it under control. That's not bad. No, that's, that's not bad. bad. That's not bad. Especially Noahs aren't used to being around other Noahs. Like if we were well, Jeffs, we'd be used to being around Jeffs all the time. But we're not. We're always used to being the only one. Pretty it, very much. true. Right. Very true. Yeah. I know like five Brian's, eight Steves. Yeah. Like you said, Jeff. Uh, I don't know any other Noahs. Um, I'll answer first, I guess, just for the hell of it. Um, my original plan was was uh, to test for Journeyman Smith this year, so it may happen, it may not. I'm not sure yet. Um, my main, my main, I guess, like hang up about it is just about like the opportunity costs involved, and I'm not sure if after taking so much time off this winter, if I can afford to just like now, you know, spend two months making six knives that I can't sell until you know after July, kind of thing. But um, yeah, I, I'll probably go anyway just to just to check it out and just to hang out with people because it's nice. It's just nice to 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 see people face to face and you know connect with other weirdos like yourself and uh, you know. What about you guys? Are you gonna go? Oh yeah, we're going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're rooming together. We already got an Airbnb. Oh nice. Ta- yeah. you, are you doing a table or are you just you're just showing up like hanging out? I'm just going. Noah's helping Micah with his table. 
Yep. Yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be helping out Micah. Um, last year, he was. I, I felt bad for him. He didn't have anybody to help him like set up and uh, and tear down at the end of the day. So I figured I'm a very um, selectively social person, and it's very easy for uh, a place like Blade to overwhelm me quickly. So I was like, you know what? If I was last year, I ended up just hanging out at Micah's table, anyways. You know, just BSing with people and uh, hanging out with Micah. It's like, well, shoot. Why not actually uh, help a buddy out and, and have a home base where I can just kind of hang out and talk to people as they come by at my own own pace and that sort of thing. And I'll still do some walking around and I'll buy a stupid amount of hand material and stuff as I always do. Right. Um, but just to, to have a, a little place to hang out and be useful to somebody, I feel, feel like it's a, a good thing to do. Oh, I mean, for him, it's valuable for sure. Because I mean, if I, I mean, when I was there two years ago, I was at my table by myself too. And it was like, I couldn't go. I didn't leave. I was lucky enough that I grabbed somebody who was walking by who I knew and trusted enough to be like, could you just watch my table while I go to the bathroom? But yeah. otherwise, yeah, you, you're stuck there. So it's definitely better to be there with two people for sure. Yeah. So I'm sure he'll be appreciative of your help. Yeah, I'm sure. I know I couldn't do it by myself. I mean, I, I go to um, local shows every so often. I mean, that's you know, I, I know some of the people around and like, Hey, can you watch, you know, the vendor next to me? Can you just watch my table while I go to the bathroom? That sort of thing. But for the most part, you're just kind of there on your own and you just kind of have to hang out and is what it is. So yeah. but a place like blade with thousands of people everywhere, that's a different story. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some weirdos at blade. I mean, it's like, <laughs> but of course there are going to be like, there's that many people you're going to get some weirdos. Right. So yeah. Bound to. Bound to. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, hey, have we missed anything like, that we need to talk about? Oh, sorry, no. go ahead, Ryan. I was going to say, I was like seeing the guys at Blade who are quite obviously of like German descent who are wearing kilts. This, like, what? Uh, yeah, I saw like 10 dudes at Blade wearing kilts. I'm like, dude, you ain't. What are you talking? You were born in Wisconsin. Like, <laughs> get out of here. Yeah, not to judge, but there is some weirdos at Blade. And then there's the smelly uh, Balasong kids, the little groups of like butterfly knife kids. But they're all teenagers, so they're not quite good at washing their armpits yet. Yeah, they're yeah they're a little ripe. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, I have teenage sons. I fully get it. Um, I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. Blade's cool. I was uh, surprised so, how yes, nice Ryan Atlanta was. You. Oh, I'm a very judgmental person. I don't hold it against you, but in my head, I'm like, weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> you are too, Noah. Don't even deny it. Our, our group I'm not sure which one you're talking to. Noah Bloomberg. I I can be slightly judgmental on occasion. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll admit that. That's fine. I, I judge Noah today because he said he's having Planet Fitness themed scales made. Why do you have to say that on the main show? Why did you say that on the main show? Why do you gotta do me like that, man? Come on. Uh, it's okay. Yeah, I outed you like that. I did. I, okay, I did. now I have to tell the story, you mongrel. All right. I was at the gym the other day and I'm, you know, working out and you know, doing a rest in between sets, and I'm looking at the floor, and it's a black floor with flecks of purple and yellow in it. And I'm like, that's kind of a cool color combination. You know, you look at the sign, you don't really think about the colors other than it's a bit much on the purple. I'm not a real big purple guy. I don't really like purple. Um, 
but I'm like, that's kind of a cool color combination. So I snapped a picture of it and I sent it to Brian Hunt and I'm like, dude, you should do a set of handle scales with this, you know, this, this color palette. And he goes, yeah, I can do that. And he messaged me later. He's like, Hey, you want these scales? I'm like, yeah. Okay, sure. I don't think I've ever put actually I've done like one one handle that had like a, a a bit of a purple hue to it, but for the most part, like it's not really my color. But in this case, I'm actually <coughs> excuse me, I'm pretty excited about it because I know he's gonna do. He makes some really cool segment, segmented scales. I think he just puts them on his own knives. He doesn't really make them for other people. Um, but I know that these things are gonna be killer. And you know, Ryan can go. Go fuck my, I can go fuck myself. <laughs> are That's these fine. just uh, so I'm curious, is this made out of like dyed wood or or made out of like composites or, you know, like resins or that would be great if I could remember. Um, I'm oh, pretty okay. sure it's some some curly purple dyed wood and then it's going to have like a yellow spacer, which might be like a micarta yellow. Um, I can't remember exactly. Right. OK, I've got you. Yeah, yeah. Right. But it's that not like a awesome. board. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, I was just messing with you, anyways. That's fine. That's fine. All right. So now that uh, now that Ryan's got his d- razzing out of the way, um, I think we should probably call it right about here. We are an hour and thirteen minutes in. Unless you guys have anything else you want to say on the main show before we head over to an after show. Not really. But speaking of scales, I've come to terms with the fact that no matter how much handle material you have, it's never enough because it's never enough. Uh, these two chef knives, I was looking for scales to put on them yesterday. I have hundreds of blocks. I've got dozens of sets of scales. I couldn't find a single thing that I was like, yeah, that's the one. I, it just blew my mind. I, I like sat down. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I'm like, I've got thousands of dollars worth of handle material, and I can't pick two sets of scales to put on these knives. You should just leave it and come back to it. You just yeah. clearly weren't like in the in the mood. I don't know. I, when I'm choosing handle material, I don't use any rubric at all. It's just how does it make me feel? That's it. Yes. And and and, and if you're not feeling it, well, then then don't use it. You know, that's um, a good yes. point. Come back to it later. I so did what pick I, one. I I I went with uh, bog oak and uh, brown liners, brown canvas micarta liners. Oh, Sounds I don't think cool. I've seen that before. The, the black the and brown, brown. black combo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so I do the exact same thing that Noah does, and I I'll I'll get the knife mostly finished. If it has a pattern, then I have to be able to see the pattern. Yep. And then then I go through my drawer and I just kind of hold stuff up, and if something jumps out at me, great. If nothing, then I just I'll I'll leave it, or I'll ask my wife's opinion. She's very good with picking color combos, but it has to fit the knife. It has exactly. To. Exactly. And, and if it doesn't just jump out at you as oh yes that belongs there, then it is what it is. You go oftentimes else. I'll have like a plan as I'm making the knife, you know, I'll think, okay, this is going to be like Amboina Burl on this for, or whatever. And then when the blade is done and I start comparing it to my wood options, I'm like, nah, that, that doesn't work at all. So you like, yeah, you have to just let go of whatever plan or preconceived thing, unless it's a custom order, obviously. But, uh, right. but yeah, you got to just let it go. And, and, you know, if, if you got to go through a hundred blocks just to find the one that feels right, so be it. Yeah. Yeah. That's and a good and point. honestly, this is, is a, a kind of a rarity for me where the customer has picked his handle material before the knives even made. Normally I keep some sort of, you know, artistic expression or leeway 
open to the myself handles. So, so that I can pick the handle. I'll take a direction like, oh, hey, you know, what colors do you like? Do you like natural woods? You know what? Yeah. And I'll kind of guide them in, in what direction I think that they should go. Um, but generally, it's always my decision because I have to I have to match the handle to the knife. It has to has to fit. Totally. I struggle with color matching. So I use the third grade method where I go and I pull out a uh, artist color wheel. Are you really? familiar with the color wheel? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's a wheel with all the colors on it. And then whatever the opposite is, is something that accents it well. Yep. Well, like purple and yellow, they're on mm-hmm. the opposite side of the color wheel from each mm-hmm. other. So the, that's why they, they just look so good together. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And actually, I, I can thank Richie for that because I was we we're recording the bro down one day before we started recording. I was like, man, I can't think of what color goes with this. And he busts. He opens a folder and breaks out a paper one that he has that he uses for tattoos. And he was like, um, teal. And I was like, oh, oh, what is that? That's genius. So I'm getting one of these things after. I mean, I, I know what they are. You know, I have been around artists a lot, but I've never really thought about using one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good tip. It's kind of like the golden ratio. It's like you don't have to do it that way. But if you do, people will not look at it and go, what the fuck? You know, like yeah, they'll, right. be, they're, 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 they'll just look at it and be like, yep, looks good. You know, uh-huh. pleasing, you know. Subconsciously, aesthetically pleasing. I like it. Yeah. I think we should end there. I think actually that's a great tip for all of our listeners who managed to make it to the end of the show. Um Thank you guys so much for listening. We're going to head over to an after show, which is just for the lovely people who support us on Patreon. If you want to become a patron's patron of ours on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash hustle and grind. As little as $1 a month gets you all of the after shows, past, present, and future. If there's something that you guys, uh, some guests that we had on that turned into a really great after show that you really want to listen to, sign up for our Patreon. You can go back and listen to it. Um, and then all of the future ones as well. So we really appreciate all of our patrons uh, who support us and help us do what we do. And other than that, we'll see you next week. Yeah, Noah, thanks everybody. Actually, thanks one so of those for guests. On. Thanks for having me, guys. Crazy after show is coming back on next week, and I'm thinking about bringing up that topic in the main show. Good God, you know what I'm talking. This is going to be wild. It's going to be anyway. a wild, wild show next week, guys. We'll see you then. Yeah. Bye, everybody.